The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. So, I want to start with asking you a question uh, tonight. And that is, what do you do in times of uncertainty? In times of adversity? In times of difficult times? Those times when you feel like you're losing control like you feel like your feet are slipping, like there's this rock that you lean on and it's not there. What do you do? Where do you go with, uh, with these things at these times? Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Israelites. And we're going to find that the Israelites were in this place of uncertainty. They were there and they didn't know what had happened to Moses. They were out in the wilderness and now they feel like Moses is gone. He had led them all this way. And they feel in one way that he has abandoned them. And so they're fearful. They're afraid. They're uncertain. And so we want to take today and look at what their response was and look what our response should be as well. So it's been three months now since they left Egypt. The Lord has gone before them. He's been there as a pillar of cloud. He's been there as a pillar of fire. And he's been leading them along this way. And the cloud stops at the base of a mountain. It's Mount Sinai where it stops. And God tells the people this. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I've borne you on eagles' wings and I've brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and if you'll keep my commandment, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And you shall be a holy nation. And they listen to what God says. And when they're done, they say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will do everything that he has said. And so Moses, God talks to Moses and he says, I'm going to come in a thick cloud. I'm going to come to this mountain. And the people are going to hear when I speak with you so that they can believe forever. So Moses tells all the people to get ready. He says, three days from now, this is going to happen. So go home, wash your clothes, get ready to be there. And he sets up these limits on these mountains. He says, you can go no further than this. Because if you go further than this, if you even touch this mountain, then you will die. And so three days later, morning comes. And there's this thick cloud on the mountain. And there's thunder and there is lightning. And the people are nervous. And then above all this commotion... Louder than the sound of thunder, louder than the lightning, louder than everything is this trumpet blast. And the mountain is wrapped in smoke. The mountain itself is shaking. The trumpet is getting louder and louder. And the people are trembling. And Moses brings them to the base of this mountain. And the Lord comes to the mountain. He comes to Mount Sinai. And he calls Moses through the thunder. He says, go up to the mountain and take Aaron with you. And God gives Moses the law. And one of these laws, it says, you shall not make gods of silver to be with me. And you shall not make for yourself gods of gold. And so Moses comes and he talks to the people. He tells them all the rules. He tells them everything that God has says. And they say, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. He rises up in the next morning. He builds an altar. He builds 12 pillars, one for each of the tribes of uh, Israel. And then Moses confirms the covenant with God. And they offer sacrifices to God. And they say for the third time, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. 
and we will be obedient. And the covenant is confirmed. The people have agreed to it. The people are now bound by the covenant that they have agreed with God. And then so God says to Moses to come up to the mountain again. And he says, I'm going to give you this law and I'm going to write it on tablets. He had already had Moses, or Moses had already written it down once and he called it uh, the book of the covenant, I think, if I remember right. Um, but he says, Moses is going to go up the second time. He's going to get this on stones. And so Moses says to the people, wait here, and I'm going to put Aaron and her in charge. If there's any dispute, just go to these two guys. And so the people watch, and Moses goes up the mountain. And they look for him, but he doesn't come back. They look the next day, he doesn't come. They look the day after that, he doesn't come. They wait day after day after day, and he doesn't come. The days slip into weeks, and the weeks pass on, and he still isn't down. It's been over a month, and Moses still has not returned from the mountain. And the people are restless. They've been taken out of their land. They're in this wilderness area, and they cannot go back. What has happened to Moses? What about his God? The one who brought him out of Egypt, who showed him the plagues, who parted the sea. They don't know what happened to Moses. They assume something bad happened. Moses just didn't make it. He went up, and perhaps he died. It's been over a month, and they have seen the miracles. They have seen the pillar of cloud. They've seen the pillar of fire. It's followed them every single day. They've seen the mountain tremble. They've heard God's voice. They've listened to the law. They have the covenant. Three times they said, all that you tell us to do, we will do. God says, don't make gods of silver. Don't make gods of gold. And here they are a month later. And I think that Moses has abandoned them. And so they demand of Aaron to make them gods to worship. And so he does. He makes them this golden calf. And he says, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Get that? He makes them a golden calf. He makes them this idol to worship. And he says, this is going to be a feast to God tomorrow. So they rise up the next day and they offer burnt offerings. They bring peace offerings. And they sit down, they eat, they drink. Then they rise up to play. What are some of the things that we can learn from these people, from these Israelites in these situations? There's several things that we can learn from here. The first one we can learn is that we revert the things that we know during times of uncertainty, during times of adversity, right? These people are out in the wilderness. They're away from everything that they have ever known. They don't know where Moses is. They don't know if he's coming back. He's been the rock. He's been the leader. He's been the one who's been guiding them and bringing him, taking him. He's the, the one that they hold on to, the one thing that is certain. And now the world is shaken. And they are afraid. They just don't know what to do. So they go back to the thing that they know. And they go back and they think of what life was like in Egypt. In Egypt, they had wor- there was idols everywhere. And they worshipped idols everywhere. It was in the culture that they lived in. It was the air that they breathed in. It was just surrounding them. And they grew up watching all of this. And they want something solid. They want something that they can hold on to. So in these times of uncertainty, they go back and they grab onto what they knew 
before. Something that's going to give them direction. Something that's going to give them security. And one of the things, too, that they do is they worship the golden calf, but then it says they rose up and they play. And it just seems like kind of like an odd thing. And Aaron, Moses rebukes Aaron because of this. So it's something more than just getting up and play. There's something like this. And it also says that they do this to the derision of their enemies. So their enemies are watching this and they're doing this. And so they're, part of this could be like this, uh, you know, what they're doing and then what they do when they're uncertain and it's time of adversity, they go back to what they know. The other thing that people do and what they do too is just this form of escapism. And so it's difficult and life is hard and it's uncertain and we don't know what to do. So there's this idea of just escaping from everything. Even if it's just for a few hours, even if it's just for a little while. And this temptation is going to be huge. When you face temptation, when you face times of uncertainty, when you don't know what's going on, the temptation is going to be to go back to what you knew. The temptation is going to be to escape into something else. When what you thought was certain is no longer certain. What you thought was the rock is no longer there. What's guided you, what's given you purpose is no longer there. And sometimes this just seems overwhelming, this temptation to do it. Just to try to get back this control. So where do you go when things get difficult? Where do you go when you feel overwhelmed? Where do you go when you feel devastated about the things that have gone on? Where do you go even when you know it's not right? Or even if you know that it's not the best thing to do? And you know, one thing too about falling back into those old habits, into these old things, is that we feel so... Like we failed so completely that God will not forgive us during those times because we've fallen back. And yet God's grace is so much bigger than that. God's grace is bigger than our past. God's grace is bigger than our circumstances. It's bigger than our sins. It's bigger than our fears. It's bigger than all the uncertainties that we have. And God hears our prayers when we go back during those times and we pray for God and we ask him and he remembers his promise. And he forgives those who cry out to him. He is the rock that we can stand on. So what else can we learn from these guys? Another thing that we can learn from this is that it's important to understand that our past influences our worship. Our past influences our worship, right? They're mixing the old with the new. They've just received this covenant from God. This part is brand brand new to them. And so they mix this old thing, right? So they make the sacrifices to the golden calf, but Aaron says it's a feast to the Lord. And when we turn to God, and we begin to worship him, and we begin to um, go to church and stuff, our past influences what we do. We don't automatically know everything, but we mix these things together. I, tell, I was talking to a friend here, uh, a couple weeks ago, and they were saying that when they became a Christian, they mixed everything together. And they said, I had two books that I always went to. One of them was the Bible, and the other was Jonathan Livingston Siegel. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. Have you, guys, have you guys heard of that book, Jonathan Livingston Siegel? 
No, no one has? Okay, one person. Two people have. So it was, it was, a, it was a book written in, in the 70s, and I think it was in the 70s. I read it as a kid and loved it because it was about this seagull. And I didn't really understand any of the implications at all or not, but it was this seagull who wanted to be free. And so the seagull um, goes up. I don't remember all the details in that, but he gets brought up into like this like second heaven kind of a thing or like this heaven kind of a thing. It's not really heaven. He meets these other seagulls, and he goes back and stuff. But um, I just wrote this down. It says... It says, Jonathan Livingston seagulls escorted to a higher reality by two seagulls that come from this higher reality. This higher reality isn't heaven. It's just simply a higher level of existence. And some of the quotes are, don't believe what your eyes are telling you. All that they show you is limitation. Look with understanding. Find out what you already know, and you'll see the way to fly. And so it's mixed up with all of this, you know, uh, stuff. And they, they said, my first experience was that I took the Bible, and I took this book, and I took this feel-good psychology, and I just mixed it all up together. I just wanted this higher existence, this higher plane. But see, that's what happens, is that when we're new, we're going to do that. And when people come to us new, they're going to do that too. So you have people who are you know, new to the country. You have new people who are new to Christianity. You have people who have never gone to church before, and they're going to take all of this stuff with them, and it's all going to be mixed together. And we have the tendency to do this too. And so what we need to do is we need to be patient. We need to be compassionate. When we have people who come in for the first time and we see this mixture, we don't get down on them, but we try to teach them the right way. So it's like in the New Testament, there's um, a guy named Apollos, and it says that he, he taught what he knew very, very well. And, and he was doing a great job, but it says he only knew the, the baptism of John. He didn't know anything else. And so um, the um, Priscilla and Aquila take him aside and they say they teach him the way of God more accurately. They teach him the way of God more accurately. And so here's an example of what we do is we help others and we teach it more accurately. But don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at all. And don't be judgmental when people come in and they have this mixture. And for us, there's going to be this mixture too, and we're going to be blind to it. We're not going to see the part that we are unaware of. We mix it all together. And so that's why we have leaders who, who teach us these things. And so we need to be humble and we need to um, kind of be aware of this. We need to always be seeking to learn and we need to go to scripture and we need to not just assume that we know this, but go to scripture like the Bereans. They went back and they tested, they read, they wanted to find out. And so one of the things is that we need leaders to teach us this. We need people around us who can help us as we walk through this, that can teach us the right way to worship and the right way to live, that can teach us to rely on God. This is the way that the kingdom of God has been set up. We do this with other people, and God has brings people into our life. What can we learn about leaders in this section here? We can learn that it's possible for leaders to fail and to fall. Aaron was with Moses from the beginning. He was in the throne room with Pharaoh. He saw the miracles. When Moses went up to the mountain, God said, bring with me, bring with you 70 elders, bring Aaron and a couple other people, and I'm going to reveal myself. And they see God. And it says that he's standing, um, I forgot what it was now, but basically they see God. So Aaron was with them on the mountain and they see this spectacular image of God and they live when they see it. 
And yet, when Aaron's faced with this crowd of scared people who are setting evil, demanding that he makes gods, he caves in. There's 600,000 men of fighting age. And you include the rest, it's over a million people. And there's a million people that are standing up demanding that Aaron make gods. And so he tries to please both men and God. He makes the golden calf, but he says, we're going to worship to God. And so he's swayed by what the people thought. And he's afraid to make this stand. And so he falls. People are no different today than they were back then. They can stumble. Even those who spend time with God and his word and his people are still vulnerable. And so we need to pray for our leaders. You know, Jesus prayed for Peter. And he said, Satan has demanded to have you. They may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And Peter was the leader of the uh, first church. So we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for Jacob. We need to pray for our worship leaders. We need, to pray for, we need to pray for our community group leaders. We need to pray for these leaders. So what else is going on? So they're down there. While this is all happening, Moses is back up on the mountain with God. So the first time Moses goes up, God gives him the law, right? He says, this is this is how you treat each other. This is social justice. This is restitution. This is how you treat the poor and the downtrodden. This is how you live together in peace. This time that he's up there, it's a little bit different. God is telling Moses how you worship God. He's telling you how this is how to build the tabernacle. This is how to build an altar. And he's telling him, this Aaron is going to be the priest. And Aaron and his sons are going to be the priests. And this is how you ordain him. And this is what his office is going to be like. This is the same Aaron that's down there making the golden calf. Now God knows what's going on. And while he's telling Moses this, how to build the place of worship, Aaron's going to be the priest. Moses has no idea whatsoever of what's going on down below. Do you see what's happening? Everything that God told them to do, three times they said we're going to do it. They've turned away from it. So God tells Moses, go down, because my anger is burning. My anger will burn against these people, and I will consume them. I will destroy him. And he says, the promise that I made to Abraham will go through you. I will make you a great nation instead of these people that are down there. And Moses implores God. He says, why should the Egyptians think that you did all of this stuff? You rescued them from slavery. You brought them out here only to kill them. He says, remember your promise that you swore to yourself. You said, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I promise, I will give to your offspring. And they shall inherit it forever. There's over a million people there. They are marching to the promised land. They are on the very doorstep of God's promise. And Moses realizes what's happening. That God is going to destroy him. And he prays for the people. And God listens. And God does not destroy the people. So what can we learn? As we had heard earlier when David read just what, what Moses' prayer was like, what can we learn about that? What's a few things that we can take away from that? Number one is that Moses prays passionately. God is going to kill the people, is what he says. But Moses says implored 
God. He realizes what is going to happen, and he implores God. The word implore means to invoke with tears, and he prays this passionate, passionate prayer for the people. And when we pray, especially for others, we need to pray passionately. Moses prays unselfishly as well. God tells him, I'm going to make you into the great nation. You are going to be the one who becomes this great nation. Everything is going to flow through you. But Moses unselfishly doesn't. Moses' prayer is unselfish. As one commentator said, he said, this offer which might have tempted any man is simply set aside as if it had been made. And his whole energy is constituted, is concentrated on inducing God to spare his people. We also look at Moses' prayer. Moses' prayer was real logical and it was well um, reasoned. It was well thought out. He uses these three different arguments and each one has a real weight to it. It makes sense what Moses is saying to him. Now, sometimes we're nervous about the idea of a logical prayer, like a well-reasoned prayer, like a thought-out prayer. We think, well, maybe it's like we're trying to be like a lawyer and like trick God into doing it. If I use the right language and I use that. But you know what? God is a God of reason. God is a God of logic. He is a God of truth, right? And we are made in his image. So it is right that when we pray, that we have thought out, well-reasoned um, praise that we could, prayers that we can think through. Um, also, Moses uses the word of God as the basis of his prayer. He walks through scriptures as he's praying to God. And this is something that we can do as well. We can take, this, we can take these passages and we can turn them into a prayer. So Ephesians 4, 22, 24, if we have this overhead. So this is what the verse says. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, is corrupt through deceitful desires. But when we pray this, we can either pray this for other people, or we can pray this for ourselves. And we can use the scripture itself to do that. So just as we pray for someone else, it's like, Lord, help them to put off their old self. It belongs to the former manner of life. There's corrupt, deceitful desires. Let them be renewed in the spirit of their minds. Let them put on the new self. Create after them likeness of God and true righteousness and true holiness. This is what Moses does as he prays. And this is something that we can do as we pray as well. And God hears our prayers, right? God has given the Israelites the law. The very first thing they do is they break it. Moses prays. And God listens. God stops. He's ready to wipe out this entire nation, but one person prays, and the Lord relented, and he saved the people. God listens when we pray. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, and it is, it is working. See, because God remembers his promises. God remembers his promises. And so... As Moses is talking to him, Moses reminds her of this promise, and God remembers it. And so that phrase even sounds kind of funny, right? That God remembers the promise that he made. Uh, James Gray says this, when it says the Lord repented, does it mean that he had these changeable feelings like a man does? And the answer is no. Rather, he acted on his unchangeable principle, always to show mercy on the penitent. So in other words, God promises to punish sin. He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to punish this sin. But he also makes a promise that he will forgive those who repent. 
And so he makes this declaration that he will punish them. Moses stands up and he prays for him, and God forgives, or God relents, and he doesn't. So it's the same way with us, right? And when we repent before God, God remembers those prayers. So we can see God's grace in several different ways throughout this story. We can see God's grace in just the very fact that he gave Moses the opportunity to pray for the people. We have an overhead here by a guy named Ian Campbell, and he says this. He said, God was not aware of what was, was not unaware of what was going on. He is presented as calling Moses to leave him alone that he may go down and consume these revelers in his anger. That fact alone is striking. But no less is the realization that by doing so, Moses is permitted the opportunity to intercede on behalf of the Relcatrat and wayward nation. I'm not sure if I said that word right or not, but <laughs> I think it means the bad nation or the... <laughs> So, but anyway, do you understand what's going on here? So, God could have simply just punished him, and that would have been over. But instead, he tells Moses, this is what I'm going to do. And when he does that, he's giving Moses this opportunity to pray for the people. He's giving us his grace that's seeing and that he warns him beforehand. And so, Moses prays, and God doesn't punish them. And so... Um, Moses then goes down from the mountain as we walk through, walk through the story. And he sees the people worshiping this golden calf, and he's angry. And he takes the tablets. These are the tablets that God himself has wrote on. And he smashes them. And then what he does is he burns this golden calf. He grinds it into powder. He throws it on the water. And he makes the people drink it. Now just, you know, he's got to stop and picture what this looks like. He's thrown down. These are the tablets that God himself makes. It. He throws them down on the ground. He breaks them. He does this whole calf thing. He burns it. He, he grinds it. He puts it in the water. He makes the people drink it. And you got to ask yourself, what's going on? Has he lost it? Is he off his rocker? Has he just completely and totally just, you know, lost all grip on reality? The answer is no at all. Because when he throws those tablets down and breaks them. He's making this lifelong, powerful demonstration, this show of them breaking God's covenant. Here's the covenant, and they have broken it. And so he throws them down, and he breaks the covenant. As far as the, um, the idea of the, the burning and, and that... Um, one of the commentators points out this. He says, the sequence of the whole burn, grind, scattered, eat is also found in other places during this time. In the ergatic text, it says it indicates the total destruction of a deity. So in other words, they, he forces the Israelites to drink it. Not as a punishment against them, but it represents the final irreversible destruction of the calf. So think about it. The calf is burned. It's ground down. It's thrown into the water. It's spread out. The people drink it. There is no way possible that calf is ever coming back. It is completely and totally destroyed beyond all imagination. So next we can also see God's grace on Aaron himself. Moses rebukes Aaron. And Aaron has these few excuses. He says, it wasn't my fault. They made me do it. It just happened. 
But his excuses don't stand up. And neither will our excuses. Excuses like it wasn't my fault, they made me do it, it just happened, will never fly. And we cannot stand on the day of judgment and give these excuses. And although it is true that Aaron's sins are grave, and Moses rebukes him, and there's clear that they are, that they are grave, there is a little subtle difference between his sins and the sins of the other people. Because there's a difference in sins of weakness than sins of outright rebellion. Because there are times when we sin unexpectedly. There are times when we um, are even surprised that we sin, but it's just the situation. These things come up, and we just react without even thinking. And they're sins of weakness. We don't plan them. We're not rebelling against God. These things just happen. And God as a preparation for this, gives us the book of Ephesians, and he explains the whole armor of God so we can be prepared for this time of battle so that we won't fall. But there are times that we simply fall. These sins of weaknesses or just being new and just not knowing are different than the sin of outright rebellion that that they had. It's different than the sin of this unrestrained long-term jealousy or the sin of this deep-hearted um, anger that just, that just continues and continues and continues and this constant rebellion against God. These are different. And so what we do see in here is in spite of um, Aaron's sin, we see the grace of God on him. We see God's forgiveness in him because God told Moses it's going to be him and his sons who are the priests. And God does that. God forgives those who repent. And even in the story when it comes to judgment, we can see God's grace in this time. Because they were told, do not make these idols of gold and of silver. Worship him alone. And the punishment of that is death. When they enter into this covenant knowing that the punishment is death, and they immediately break it. It wasn't just a passing sin, right? They gave Aaron, they, they demanded that Aaron did it. They gave him the jewelry. They sat and they watched as Aaron made it. They waited until the next day. They rose up. They offered burnt offerings. They brought in peace offerings. They intentionally did this, knowing that the penalty was death. And then 3,000 are slain in one day because of a few hours of idol worship. They all deserve death. But when God punished them, he only took 3,000. Um, we have another overhead like this, just pointing out how we see God's grace and not destroying them all. He says this, The Israelites had heard it forbidden amid the thunders of Sinai, they had a law against it in the book of the covenant. They had pledged themselves to obey this law. They could not now therefore complain. If all who had taken part in the calf worship had perished, no injustice at all would have been done. But God tempers justice with mercy. There was well nigh 600,000 sinners, but the lives of 3,000 only were taken. And we see God's grace in that he didn't take them all. And God uses the Levites to carry out this judgment. Moses says, who is on the Lord's side? Whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. Everyone there had the chance to come to Moses, to come and stand at the Lord's side, but only these Levites did. 
the Levites gather around him and they, they do what they need to do and they pay this dear price for it and God blesses them because of what they did. And they end up serving God from that time on. So just a couple final closing thoughts. And that is, how is Moses a picture of Christ? Moses is a picture of Christ because he intervenes for his people. Moses says, you have sinned a great sin, and I will go up to the Lord, and perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. So Moses intervenes for them. He prays for them. And see, he says, maybe I can make atonement for your sin. Moses could pray, but he could not make an atonement. But Christ prays, and Christ is able to make that atonement for us. Moses was also willing to give up his life. He says, Alas, his people have sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will, forgive their sins. But if not, please blot me out of the book that you have written. Moses was give, willing to give up his life for his people. But Moses' life was not enough. God said no. But when one comes to Christ, Christ did die for us. And his life is enough. His sacrifice is enough. His life paid for our sins. And so, during times of uncertainty and during times of adversity, we need to remember what our tendency is. Our tendency towards this, the temptation during this time, is to go back to what we know. Is to fall back. It's the temptation that we have to go back, whether it's right or not. What we need to do is we need to go forward we need to go forward to the God who's gracious, to a God who's kind and a God who forgives our sins. We need to go forward to Jesus who intervenes for us and atones for us and gave up his life for us. And then finally, we need to pray for each other. Pray for those who are new, the ones who will most likely mix their faith and their understanding with the past. We need to pray for each other as we face times of uncertainty and adversity, that we will rely on God, this rock who doesn't move. And we need to pray for our leaders, for Jacob, our worship leaders, our small group leaders. Let me just close in prayer. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your love and for your kindness, Lord. And we know that the temptation will be, Lord, for us to go back and not to go forward. But Lord, I just pray that you'll give us uh, just an awareness of our weaknesses, Lord. And I pray that you'll just uh, help us to drive forward to you, Lord, the God who forgives and the God who loves. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.